0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, What Are We Building? It's based upon the lectionary readings for November 7th, 2021. God helps those who help themselves. Has anyone ever said this to you? How about one of these zingers? The early bird catches the worm. The only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. No matter how hard you work, someone else is working harder. The more you sweat, the luckier you get. Much effort, much prosperity. For many of us, Boxer's famous line in the novel Animal Farm is the mantra we live by, I must work harder. We wake up too early, go to bed too late, labor too hard and worry even harder. We do these things because we believe they'll make us safer, smarter, stronger and more successful. Some of us even believe that God desires our tireless toil, sweat, and tears. We mistake our culture's workaholism for Christian virtue. We assume that everything depends on us. What a startling departure this is from the way of life our lectionary offers us this week. Consider the ancient but wholly relevant opening of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build its labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. I hope you'll read these lines over and over again this week and find comfort in each one. But I also hope that we'll receive these words as prophetic, as cautionary, as corrective because what the psalmist is doing here is provoking us with a kind of wisdom we're not likely to hear in our boardrooms or classrooms. He's not simply offering consolation, he's pressing hard against the norms of our pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps culture. He's asking us to reimagine our relationship to work, productivity, accomplishment, and success. Psalm 127 takes us back to a foundational truth we ignore at our peril. The work is God's. The work is always God's, it is not ours. This is true regardless of our vocational particulars. God is the builder, the watchman, the healer, the artist, the teacher, the nurturer, the explorer, the cleaner. By this I mean, God is just as invested, involved and sovereign in our work lives as God is at the altar or in the pews. This means that our anxious toil is neither necessary nor virtuous, it's harmful and idolatrous. As shocking as this might sound, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. God helps those who cannot build, guard, rise, rest, prosper, produce, multiply, or thrive without God's merciful and generous assistance. You might be thinking, okay, sure, God is in charge, that's nice. But what does it mean? What does it mean in real life? I still have deadlines to meet and a boss to impress. I still have exams to take and a future to plan. I still have sermons to write and stewardship campaigns to run. I still have a family to feed and a retirement to secure. Of course, I rise up early and go late to rest. What else can I do? Perhaps what we can do is reimagine our relationship to our work through worship that is formational and transformative. Psalm 127 is one of the psalms of ascent that were sung by the Israelites as they journeyed to Jerusalem for their annual festivals of sacrifice, worship, and thanksgiving. As the disciples made their way into the holy city and prepared to enter the temple, they immersed themselves in the story of their covenantal relationship with God. They allowed their liturgies to reshape and remake them. They sang of God's salvation. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. They sang of divine protection. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. They sang of God's provision. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. They sang of God's protection. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And, as we've noted already, they sang of God's sovereignty over every detail of life. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, in and through their acts of worship, these ancient pilgrims reminded themselves of who they really are. The children of God, sustained, nourished, protected, blessed, loved, guided, and held in God's world, God's story, God's work, God's salvation. Whatever disordered and competing stories or identities they might have latched onto in the grind of daily life, they shed on the road to Jerusalem. Through their worship, they reoriented themselves. They remembered that their homes, their cities, their families, and their vocations belong to God. They reassumed their proper place in the sacred story, recalling that God is in charge. God is the one who builds and watches. Their role is simply to participate in the work God graciously chooses to share with them. In contrast, I wonder if we routinely eat the bread of anxious toil because we neglect to immerse ourselves in the fullness of God's story as our spiritual ancestors did. I wonder if we compartmentalize our lives to our spiritual and physical detriment, separating our work from our worship, our weekdays from our Sundays, our offices from our sanctuaries. I wonder if we forget to begin our work with the humble recognition that God is already present and active in the vocations we mistakenly assume are our own. What would it be like to build and watch under the guidance and sovereignty of God? In the particulars of your work life, with all of its unique stresses and responsibilities, what would it be like to acknowledge God as the master builder and yield your skills, your time, and your labor to God's care? What would it be like to see your work as an extension of your worship and your workplace as a place of divine encounter? When the day is done but your work is not, what would it be like to surrender to the one who longs to give you rest? It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. In addition to being pure poetry, this is a truth that runs counter to just about everything our culture tells us about our work. What a radical idea that our worth as human beings doesn't rest in our frenzied productivity, but in God's deep longing to grant us rest. Psalm 127 asks us a question to ponder for a lifetime. What are we building and why are we building it? Whose work are we engaged in and to what end? May our answers to these questions be steeped in the sacred story of the God who alone can give our work true value and meaning. In everything we do, in our work and in our rest, may we find our way to the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. For books this week, Dan reviews Natasha Trethewey's Memorial Drive, A Daughter's Memoir. When Natasha Trethewey was born in Mississippi on April 26, 1966, it was still illegal for her, quote, colored mother and white Canadian father to be married, and so her parents eloped to Ohio. As a little girl in the Jim Crow South, she grew up with a profound sense of dislocation. Was she black or white? Her grandmother slept with a pistol beneath her pillow. The Klan burned a cross in their driveway. As a child of miscenegation, she became an expert in racist epithets. When she was six, Treadway and her mother moved to the more progressive Atlanta, but little could they have known that the racist context of Mississippi would be eclipsed by an unimaginable family trauma when a Vietnam veteran named Big Joe entered their lives. For 30 years, Treadway willed forgetting and worked hard to bury the past. After 30 years of suppressing this family trauma, she returned to Atlanta to face her demons. She analyzed her dreams. She read police reports and listened to tape recordings of telephone calls. At the age of fifty, she even consulted a medium, albeit with understandable self reproach. But this was a wound that never dies. This riveting memoir is Tretheway's effort to make sense of our history, to understand the tragic course upon which my mother's life was set and the way my own life has been shaped by that legacy. I read it in one half day binge. The book was an instant bestseller and on numerous best of twenty twenty lists. Trethaway was awarded the 2007 Pulitzer Prize in Poetry for her collection, Native Guard, and has been the Poet Laureate of the United States two times. Today, she is on the Board of Trustees, Professor of English at Northwestern University. For movies this week, Dan reviews The Donut King. They call me The Donut King, says the Cambodian-American entrepreneur Ned Noy, and for good reason. In 1975, Noy fled the genocide of Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge and ended up at Camp Pendleton in California with 50,000 other refugees. After a Lutheran church sponsored him, he worked as a janitor, a gas station attendant, and then as a trainee at Winchell's Donuts. Only six months later, he bought his first donut shop, which he eventually parlayed into 70 stores by leasing them to fellow Cambodians. With a net worth of $20 he sponsored some 100 other families from Cambodia to make a start in America. The film says that there are about 5,000 donut shops in California, and that about 90% of them are owned by Cambodians, which begs for comparisons with the movie Nailed It, about the $8 billion nail salon industry built by Vietnamese refugees. And that's only the beginning of Noy's story, which I will not spoil. This film gushes with unabashed patriotism. It personifies the immigrant work ethic. I've worked in the donut shop since I was 10, says one person. I watched this film on Hulu. And finally, for poetry this week, Dreams and Nightmares by Walter Brueggemann. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I had a dream so fair. I dreamed of the holy city, well-ordered and just. I dreamed of a garden of paradise, well-being all around, and a good water supply. I dreamed of disarmament and forgiveness, and caring embrace for all those in need. I dreamed of a coming time when death is no more. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I had a nightmare of sins unforgiven. I had a nightmare of landmines still exploding and maimed children. I had a nightmare of the poor left unloved, of the homeless left unnoticed, of the dead left ungrieved. I had a nightmare of quarrels and rages and wars great and small. When I awoke, I found you still to be God, presiding over the day and night with serene sovereignty, for day and light are both alike to you. At the break of day, we submit to you our best dreams and our worst nightmares, asking that your healing mercy should override threats, that your goodness will make our nightmares less toxic and our dreams more real. Thank you for visiting us with a newness that overrides what is old and deathly among us. Come among us this day. Dream us toward health and peace. We pray in the real name of Jesus, who exposes our fantasies. Thank you for joining us at JourneyWithJesus.net for November 7th, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.